I have a particular fondness for a uh, particular kind of movie. It's a genre uh, that I've never really found a name for, but I call it the improbable, unbelievable, come from behind, against all odds, sports narrative. There are literally dozens and dozens of these movies, okay? Uh, let me give you some examples. Maybe you can help me out with this one. Let's say you're about a 50-year-old man. You grew up in Indiana. You would know a basketball movie. Hoosiers. Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then there is... Well, I'm glad to see you guys are awake. Um, there is... But settle down now, okay? Settle down. Um, what else? Remember the Titans. Miracle on Ice. Mighty Ducks, one, two, three. Rocky, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What is this? Stop at six, I think, right? And then, of course, there's one of my favorites. Rudy, 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 right? I mean, who could forget that one? You know, all of these movies are only secondarily about sports, They are primarily about a really predictable, but I think compelling plot line. And the plot line goes something like this. You got a bunch of ordinary people, and they're playing this game. And there's no way they can possibly win. As a matter of fact, they're going to get creamed. You know they're going to get creamed. And they go out, and sure enough, they're getting creamed. And then, against all odds, somehow, the improbable happens, they snatch victory out of defeat, and they win. That's the plot line. It happens over and over and over again. Now, I'm going to make a case that in many ways, that is the plot line of the Bible. Not that it's about sports, because it's not primarily about sports. Um... <laughs> But a good chunk of the Bible follows this simple plot line. I'll summarize it like this. God provides a way when there is no way. Uh, say that with me. I'll say it, and then you repeat it after me. God provides a way when there is no way. Okay? Let's say that together. God provides a way when there is no way. Think of the book of Genesis, the very second verse. There's nothing. There's, there's a wasteland, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the water, and out of nothingness, God creates everything that is, and he calls it very good. God provides a way when there is no way. Think of the children of Israel, Israel enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. There's no way to get out. And then God sends Moses, and God miraculously leads them through the Red Sea and the, and the Egyptians are drowned, and the children of Israel are released from slavery, and they're saved. God provides a way when there is no way. Think of David and Goliath. He's got this little kid, this little 17-year-old kid, and this, and this giant. Well, this is kind of a sports story. And he's got five stones, and he's got a slingshot. Boom! Hits the giant in the forehead with the first shot. Boom! Goes down. God provides a way when there is no way. Think of the valley of the the story we've heard in Easter Vigil, the Valley of the Dry Bones. I mean, these bones, can they live? No. And yet, they come together. The wind comes and the Spirit of God comes and God provides a way when there is no way. So Abraham and Isaac, 
I really struggled with this story. I don't like this story. And I don't know why I keep getting crummy passages to preach, you know? Because <laughs> Matt will find a way when there is no way. <laughs> so, but you know, really, Abraham and Isaac is another, maybe the, one of the most dramatic examples of this pattern where God provides a way when there is no way. Now, I've often read this story. One of my problems is I feel, I feel really bad for Abraham and Isaac. This is one bummer of a father-son camping trip. You can imagine them coming back like, hey, let's not tell mom about this, okay? <laughs> but you know, I, I just want you to know, as I read this story, it's like, don't worry about Abraham and Isaac. Did you hear the end of this story? They come out like bandits. God says, I'm just going to, he blesses them. He says, you're going to be unbelievable blessings. And you will be a blessings to all the nations of the earth. They win a spiritual lottery. So they had a bad day, okay? God takes care of them. So don't worry about them. In verse 1, actually the narrator tips us off to something that Abraham and Isaac don't, they don't know. And in chapter 22, verse 1 of Genesis, it says that, God did this to test Abraham. Now, we know that this is a test. God abhors the shedding of innocent blood. So you're thinking, whoa, is he going to do it? Is he really going to kill him? Did God really want him to do it? No. We know from the very beginning that's not going to happen. That's not an option. But Abraham doesn't know that. Isaac doesn't know that. So all he hears is, take your son. And then God adds on. He says, your only son. The son whom you love, take him and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, throughout this whole long story of Abraham, which starts actually back in Genesis chapter 12, so you got these 11 chapters devoted to the life of Abraham, God promised and said, I will choose you, Abraham, and I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and if anybody curses you, I will curse them. And I will work through you to bless all the nations of the earth. So we're sitting here tonight because of Abraham and the blessing God gave him. We're part of that promise. Millions upon millions upon millions of people have been blessed through that promise. But here's the deal. That whole promise hinges on one one hinge. Isaac, the beloved son. If there is no Isaac... There is no blessing to the nations. We wouldn't be here as spiritual children of Abraham. The whole thing depends on him. As one of the early church fathers said, he said, how shall the branches flourish? Talking about this story, he said, how shall the branches flourish if you dig up the roots? How shall the river flow if you dry it up at the source? You have nothing. No Isaac. Isaac's dead. The promise is dead. The blessing is dead. So that is the tension in this story. And yet Abraham, we see in this story, he believes that somehow there's a way. Somehow God's going to provide a way when there is no way. Let me read again what it says in, um, in verse 5. And it is difficult to read up here, but um, verse 5, he says... To his servants, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy. We will go over there and worship and come again to you. 
Somehow, me and Isaac are going to come back. I don't know how God's going to work this out, but somehow he's going to work this out. And then in verse 8, Abraham says to Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So Abraham believes God's going to provide a way when there is no way. And that's exactly what happens. In verse 13, we read that, God, first of all, God stops him, says, don't do this. The test is over. You passed. And then verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. I love the Hebrew storytelling here because it's, look, behold, like, can you believe this? Unbelievable, improbable. From the jaws of death, there's a ram. There's, and it just happens to be stuck in the thickets. Well, what do you know? Look and behold. Isn't that amazing? God provides a way when there is no way. And he names the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Now, I said that this, this story, this plot line, God provides a way when there is no way, occurs all throughout the Bible. But here's the thing that I saw for the first time when I was looking at this passage. There is a notable exception to that plot line. It's found in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, God the Son, is talking to God the Father and saying, and Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to die on the cross for our sins. And he says to God the Father, we've always found a way. Can't we find a way that we can do this without me going to the cross? And God the Father says, there is no other way. And God the Son says, then I agree. And together they agreed there would be no other way for Jesus. He would go to the cross and he would die for our sins. You see, the whole story of Isaac depends on God providing another way. The whole story of our salvation as Christians depends on Jesus not taking another way. And he becomes the sacrificial lamb. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I think, talking about this story, he said, he who did not spare his own son, talking about God the Father, did not spare Jesus the Son, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? See, what does this mean for us? Well, we start, you start the Christian life by admitting that God has to provide a way when there is no way. That God has offered up his son. That's the way of salvation. So if you think being a Christian, walking as a Christian is, I gotta, I gotta try harder, or I gotta get my life together, or I gotta be more religious, or I gotta be a nicer person, or, or whatever, that that's how you start, that that's how you get going. You're actually going the wrong way. Because God provides a way when there is no way. So becoming a Christian means saying, Lord, I, have, I, I can't find a way out of this. I can't find a way back to you. And, and accepting what Christ has done for us. But we continue to live the Christian life by this. By leaning on God to say, God, every day you need to provide a way when there is no way. There is no way for me to overcome my selfishness. There is no way for me to overcome my, my hardness of heart. There is no way for me to overcome my unbelief. 
There is no way for me to overcome my cynicism and, and, and my lack of love for people. There's no way. I, there's no way you have to provide the way. You know, six years ago, I was living in Long Island, and I was wondering what to do with my life, and I had no idea what to do with my life. I had been a pastor, and I resigned, and I didn't know what I was going to do next. But I really felt like I needed to stay on Long Island because um, my son was a senior at a school. He was at a boarding school called Stony Brook School, and he'd be well taken care of. And, but I just really felt like I needed to stick around. And I was meeting with an older guy named John, John Hurtado, who's this old Italian guy, uh, house builder, uh, member of our church, really solid guy. And he said, so Matt, what are you going to do? And I said, well, you know, I, need, I think I need to be here. I think I need to be here for my son. And, and uh, he said, Matt, let me, let me just tell you. Let me just tell you something. My sons went to that school too. My sons boarded there, okay? Let me tell you why your son's going to need you. He's going to do this. On Friday night, he's going to go, hey, Dad, can you come over and bring some pizza? Me and my friends are really hungry. Thanks, Dad. I love you, man, okay? He said, that's why he's going to need you, you know? He said, Matt, what is God calling you to do? He said, I just know in my heart, God, or John, I just know in my heart that God wants me to move to Chicago. He wants me to get involved in Church of the Resurrection, and he wants me to heal. He wants me to work on my own life, and he wants me to just start moving forward. And John said, he just looked at me and said, then why don't you do it? And I like, uh, well, uh, and he said, Matt, I've known you for 10 years. And let me just tell you something I know about you. You like to be in control. And you are really afraid to step out. Because you don't think God's going to provide. And sometimes, Matt, you just have to step out and trust that God is going to provide. And so I did. That's why I'm here. But you know, every single day, you think that that sports story plot line is not, has nothing to do with your life? That is Christian living. You're in that plot line. I don't mean a sports story. You're in the plot line where every single day it's like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I can't do this. I can't live the Christian life. I can't be like Jesus. I can't love like Jesus. I can't witness like Jesus. And yet, God will provide a way when there is no way. That is the plot line of, my, of our life. We're going to close, by, or close this little hour by singing a couple songs. And, and here's how I want to just encourage you to, to pray. Um, we're going to have a couple people. Tim and Leslie are going to be over on the side, um, available for prayer. And if there's any area of your life where you're like saying, like, I am trying to control this, or I don't really believe that God's going to provide a way, and I have to provide the way, and I'm really anxious, you know? I mean, we're half hour behind tonight, and I'm like, I was like freaking out, you know, because it's like, oh my goodness, we're so off schedule, you know, and what's going to happen, and oh, you know, it's like I'm getting all anxious, and you know, so I had to, I had to go for prayer, you know, before, before I got up here. I mean, seriously, I needed prayer to just unravel some things in my heart. You know, if you're saying, I can make it a day in my Christian life not knowing that God provides when there is no way, God provides a way when there is no way, 
you're, you're lying, you're deluded, or you're a bad Christian, because that's not Christian living. God provides a way when there is no way. So it, let me just instruct you this way. If there's anything like you're just, you got these burdens on you, or you got this, this, these control issues, or, or you're trying to work things out, and you just need to know that God's going to provide a way. I just encourage you as we sing these songs, you, you can do it in your seat. You can do that as well. But if you want to pray with somebody, um, go over to those people on the side and receive some prayer.